0: So, I have four kids. I have three daughters and a baby boy son. And it's funny because every time I tell people that, I meet people. You know, this happened a lot in Turkey. Oh, do you have family? Yeah, I'm married and we've got four kids. We've got three daughters and a son. And what everybody says all over the place is people always say, Oh, you got your boy. <laughs> and what I always say is, Yeah, I did. And what I also think is, And I got my girls. Because I love my girls. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. Everyone focuses on the boy, the one and only. But, but I've got these incredible young ladies. Uh, Mary, Abby is 12, uh, Caitlin's 10, Mary's four. And they are just so much fun. They're fun to spend time with. They're fun to go on dates with. Uh, they, they just are really, really amazing people. And so I love being around them. And I love when we get to do daddy-daughter dates, whether that's just something we do or maybe it's part of some event that we do. I just, I love being a dad. Of daughters, I love on social media when there's schools, you know, local schools that will do these events where it's daddy-daughter date night, and so everybody's posting pictures of them and their their daughters. And I love, I love how the girls get all dolled up and how they make dad get all dolled up. And I just, and sometimes they get you know the flowers, and I just, I just love that stuff. I'm a total sucker for it. As I uh, officiate weddings, you know, as a pastor, you get to do that. One of my favorite things in weddings is watching fathers walk their daughters down the aisle. Uh, especially since I've had my girls, I, I a lot of times have to sit there and go. Because I'm thinking, someday I'm going to give my baby away. right? And, I, and the guys kind of hold it together pretty well. And there's just that significant moment when, when the father hands off the daughter to the groom. And it's this symbolic and important and theological moment where he lets go. I love the moment a little bit later in the wedding celebration when the father-daughter dance happens, right? And I just think that's such a sweet and special moment. Some people do funny stuff that they choreograph. Uh, Most people just go with butterfly kisses um, or some other song that's kind of about that. And I just wanna tell you, if you're a songwriter... Write a song that could be used for wedding father-daughter dances. You will wake up laughing because you'll make so much money. That is the only kind of song you should try to write, is that kind of song, because uh, people love them, people use them. And so just, just being a, a dad is incredible, and I bring all of that to this story, which is a powerful story about a father's love for his daughter, I relate to this story. We'll see in this story that this, uh, this father, his name's Jairus, he had an only daughter who was about 12. Well, my oldest is 12. So I can relate to this. And we're going to see in this story a powerful story of the father's love for his kids. So the st- series that we're in is Love Walked Among Us. We've called it this because what we're doing is each week we're looking at a situation where Jesus interacted with people. And the reason that that title fits is because God is love and God is made known to us in the person of Jesus. So when we interact in- with Jesus, when we watch Jesus interact with people, we're actually walking, watching love Walk among us. And so each week we're doing that, and we're trying to just do this to kind of hold Jesus up so that we love him, so that we tr- trust him, so that we can just see what a beautiful treasure he is. And it also is challenging us to love like he does. And so this passage is a passage that I've been looking forward to. This is one of my favorite passages in the Gospels. And what I want to do is I want to pray, and then I want to just work through this story. And as we work through it, we're going to see three pictures. We're going to see in this story a picture of faith. We're going to see a picture of love. We're going to see a picture of hope. So that's where we're going to go. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, for revealing yourself to us through it. God, thank you for Jesus, what we see in him, what we learn from him. God, thank you for this incredible story The picture it gives us of faith, the picture it gives us of love, the picture it gives us of hope. Open our eyes, encourage our hearts. Help us to see that you are our treasure. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Amen. So if you have your Bible, uh, open it, scroll to, again, Luke chapter 8 verse 40 uh, Jesus has been teaching on the other side of the Sea of Galilee and now he's on his way back and it says in verse 40 now when Jesus returned the crowd welcomed him for they were all waiting for him so the picture that I'm getting here is Jesus is kind of sailing back across the Sea of Galilee which was like really just this huge lake and he's coming back and as he's getting closer he sees this large crowd that's assembled there he's they're there in Capernaum which was kind of the home base of Jesus ministry and they've seen this they've seen That Jesus healed. They've seen how Jesus teaches. They've seen how Jesus casts out demons, and they are there waiting for him. One of the people waiting for him is kind of a surprising figure. Verse 41, and there came a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue. Now, on one hand, it's not surprising that Jairus would be here, because Jairus is the ruler of the synagogue, the kind of senior pastor, if you will, of the local synagogue there in Capernaum. In that role, he would have actually been a witness to many of the significant miracles that Jesus did in that very synagogue. So on one hand, you go, well, of course, he's there waiting for Jesus. But on the other hand, this is surprising, because think about it. Who are the people who are constantly opposing Jesus? The religious leaders people just like Jairus. So what is it that would make someone who normally would be so resistant, just like all these other religious leaders, why is he suddenly at the head of the line of people waiting for Jesus? Well, it says in verse 41, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. He begged him. Greg, just get the picture. You have a ruler of a synagogue, a powerful guy in that community. He would be like a mayor-type figure. And he is down on his knees, groveling, begging, imploring Jesus, Jesus, come with me. Jesus, come to my house. Jesus, I need your help. Do you see this picture? Why? Verse 42, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying those of you who are parents you know what you would do for your kid if you thought there was something anything anyone that could save them from imminent death and that's what jairus is doing and so he's there and he's begging he's desperate jesus agrees and it says as jesus went so now there's some distance they've got to travel as jesus went the people pressed around him. This word pressed is the idea of something being choked out, something being smothered. So this is just a good window into Jesus' life, is now he says, okay, let's go to Jairus' house, and he starts walking, and the crowd of people are just pressing around him, right? He can't go very fast because everyone is just pressing, and people are jostling and bumping into each other, and there's this whole procession of people headed towards Jairus' house. Well, there's another person that gets involved in this story, We're introduced to her in verse 43. It says, And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. So I'm not going to get too graphic in this, but this woman has had this issue of blood for 12 years. Years. According to Leviticus 15, that would have made her ceremonially unclean, which meant anywhere she went, anything she touched, anything she sat down on would be unclean. She couldn't go to worship. She couldn't go to the temple. If she was married, this probably meant that her husband would have divorced her. If not right away, at least after a few years, it's been 12 if she's single, it means no one was going to come near her. One commentator said she's like a female leper. The lepers were the people who, they had that rotting skin disease. They couldn't be around anyone or anything. They just were unclean, unclean, and they can't be a part of society. So that's her condition, socially, physically, emotionally. It says in Mark's gospel, and he tells this story, that she had spent all she had on the doctors, but she only grew worse. She's gone everywhere she could go. She's looked for everything she can look for. She's spent everything she can spend, and this thing's not getting better. Like Jairus, she's desperate. So it says in verse 44, She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. Now, we just read these stories and we blow right through them and we don't think about the humanity and the realistic situation that this would have been. So think about this. There's this huge crowd of people that have been waiting for Jesus. In the midst of it is Jairus, this religious leader who's important. Jesus arrives, he's also got his 12 disciples. So walking kind of around Jesus, you just sort of imagine there's kind of this like unintentional security team of the 12 disciples, a lot of whom are like, Guys, guys, fishermen, tax collector thugs, right? Like, they're following, they're around Jesus. And Jairus, surely he's got a few people from his household, people from his synagogue. I mean, he's he's surrounding Jesus. How does this woman get to Jesus? Answer, dogged determination. She is putting her head down. I can imagine her, I don't know this, this is just my imagination, that maybe she had some kind of like hood or head covering or something because she's an outcast, right? She doesn't want to be caught in the middle of this crowd because she's unclean and now they'd be all clean, but she is going to get to Jesus. Yet she isn't getting to Jesus like Jairus did where she's going to fall down and beg him, no, she's going to do a drive-by Jesus moment because it says she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. Jesus, like most rabbis, would have had a kind of prayer shawl, and at the edges of that shawl would have been a kind of tassel, and that's what this is referring to. And so she's pressing in, she's determined, she's going to get there, and she gets the fringe, and she's out. This is not, by the way, a great deal of like, I understand theologically that Jesus is the Son of God, and in him is the power to heal and restore. She's just desperate, right? It says, she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. This is the first picture we see in Jairus and in this woman, as we see a picture of faith, a picture of faith. Faith is desperation for Jesus because he is your only hope. That's what faith is. We think about faith being knowledge. We think about faith being confidence. But faith is about desperation. Desperation for Jesus because he's your only hope. Think about it. Jairus and the woman are both desperate. They are out of options. They have tried everything else they could try and it didn't work. Think about it, especially for Jairus. He's a powerful man. He knows people. He has money. He has connection. And the powerful man needs something that his power can't do. So he begs Jesus. Jesus, come help. This woman has spent all she had. She tried everything she had. And year after year after year, 12 years later, she's still in this situation. And she says, what the heck? I'm going to try Jesus. Jesus. We think about faith being this thing that we know a lot about and we're really convinced of and we have all the answers and we've kind of sorted it all out and if anybody asked us any question, we could answer and give a great defense of all the things. That's not the picture of faith this story tells us, is it? This is a picture of faith of somebody who's desperate. I, I, I don't know where else to go. I don't know what else to do. I've tried I've looked. We don't get to this place very often of desperation, do we? Because we trust our money, we trust our networks, and we trust our resources, and we trust our healthcare systems, and we trust all our we trust all these things and God uses all those things to be sure. But because we have so much, we often just keep trusting that and I wonder if this is Jesus invitation to us to say, "Hey, Would you feel a little desperate? Let me ask you, when was the last time you fell down because you were so desperate? I I Honestly, the only time I can think of is when I got saved 20-some years ago. I remember falling on my face and asking, God, God, save me. God, help me. God, I need you. I don't often feel, in in a visceral way, I don't feel this desperate very often, do you? So, one of the things that I've started to do is, is to just, even with my posture, remind myself in prayer. Sometimes in prayer, I'll just hold my hands out, or I'll, uh, when I'm by myself, I'll get on my knees. Not because I think God hears you better from your knees, but because I need a physical reminder that says, I'm desperate. I have no hope. I have no other source but Jesus. When was the last time you were this desperate? Some of you, you're in this spot where you're going, I'm praying to God and I'm asking him to work in my family. I'm asking him to work in my career. I'm asking him to to work in my health. I'm asking him to reconcile me and my kids. I'm, I'm asking God to do something and it doesn't feel like God's doing it. Now listen, I do not know the mind of God. I can't tell you, well, here's exactly why, but this passage makes me wonder if God isn't just waiting and saying, are you truly desperate yet? Or are you still trusting in yourself and your resources and your money and your connections? Will you stop trusting that? Will you trust me? It's a picture of faith. Let's continue. Verse 45. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? Right again, picture the scene. Jesus is walking. There's the huge crowd of people. Uh, This woman kind of comes by, grazes the hem of his garment, you know, go, goes through it, Jesus, Jesus is walking, and all of a sudden he stops, and the whole crowd stops, and he goes, who touched me? <laughs> now, what would you be thinking would be the answer to that question? everyone's touching you, Jesus. And that's actually Peter's answer. Peter says says that very thing. When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. Jesus, Jesus, you're kidding, right? Like, everyone's touching you, dude. Don't you like Peter? I mean, he's just honest with the Lord. Like, Jesus, what do you? But, But Jesus goes, no, 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 no. Everyone's touching me but someone touched me. Verse 46, Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. I gotta think, by the way, that as this is happening, Jairus is, you know, he's been walking along going, all right, this way, this way, this way, and the crowd stops and he's kind of going, no, it's this way. Who, 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 touched, who cares who touched you? Let's go. She's dying. And Jesus stops. Jesus pauses. Verse 47. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she would touched him and how she'd been immediately healed. It's amazing here, isn't it? I mean, she, it says, do you see it there in verse 47? She had to come trembling. Do you know what that means? That means she was already out of there, right? She had gone by, touched the thing, she's on her way, and she had to come back because the crowd has stopped. She's heard Jesus, she knows it's her, and so she comes back trembling. Again, falling down before him, and she declares in the presence of all the people why she'd touched him and how she'd been immediately healed. She has to tell her story. She talks about the shame. She talks about how she'd been ostracized. She talks about how she's maybe been divorced and maybe lost everything and how she spent all this money and how it only got worse. She tells publicly that story, but how immediately when she touched Jesus, she didn't even have to get to know Jesus very well. She just touched him and she was better. And where does she do this? It says she declared in the presence of all the people. By the way, just kind of pause button for a second. That's why we do stories when we do baptisms. We're going to do baptisms on Palm Sunday, the week before Easter, April 14th. We'd love you to be baptized if you have not yet been baptized. And if if you are a follower of Jesus who's not been baptized, this is a chance for you to do what this lady does, to declare in the presence of all the people, here's what my life used to be like. Here's what I used to try. Here's where I used to look. And now here's where my hope is. It's in Jesus. So she's telling this story. She's explaining, here's what happened. And I love this in verse 48. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This interaction gives us a picture of love. A picture of love. We had a picture of faith. Now we have a picture of love. And it's time and touch in the middle of pressure and interruption. Right. That's all this scene is, It's pressure, interruption, crowd, hurry, rush, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go. And in the middle of that, Jesus stops, and he gives time, and he gives eye contact, and he gives tender words in the middle of that pressure. About a month ago, Molly and I went on a little weekend getaway, and uh, it was amazing, got to go uh, stay at a place up in Flagstaff, and uh, you know, someone else watched our kids. Thank you, Mom. It was amazing. Dad, it was great. Thank you for doing that. But we were by ourselves. And can I tell you something? Let me testify for a moment. <laughs> Life's easier. <laughs> when it's just you and her. You sleep in. right? You only eat two meals a day because you sleep in, and you have a huge breakfast, and then you take a nap, and then you go... They, <laughs> And you have dinner, and you, know, and, and you talk, and you linger, and you're in no hurry. Amazingly, you know what? We felt really connected at the end of that weekend. <laughs> but you know what? That's not normal life, right? I mean, it's nice. It's a great little taste, but it's not Normal. Normal is pressure and hurry and who's taking the kids there and what's going on with that and what do they have to bring for that project and how does this work and what do we do and how do we go and are you traveling and what, that's normal. And so it's easy to connect when it's unhurried and when it's relaxed and when it's leisure. Jesus is able to connect and to touch and to give time in the middle of the hustle and bustle. Even when surely it would have bothered someone like Jairus. I mean, I can just imagine Jairus being like, come on. Okay, you healed her. She doesn't need to tell her story. Let's go. But Jesus is not interested in hurrying people and just being some sort of power broker that's just dishing out power. He wants to love this woman love how Paul Miller in his book, Love Walked Among Us, here's how he writes it. He says, Jesus never heals without connecting with a person, never separates his power from his love. Listen, so many of us are doing a lot of things, keeping ourselves very busy and very stressed because we're doing actions that communicate the love we feel for those in our families and in our lives. And so we keep ourselves very busy doing a lot for people we love. This is a challenge to also say, in the midst of doing things to communicate love, would we sometimes stop and look and listen and touch and linger? Would we let the relationships be more important than the schedule? Oh, I don't know you. I, it isn't going to get better anytime soon, right? You're busy and stressed just like I am. Some of you are like, oh, well, I'll retire someday. Talk to someone who's retired. They're not less busy. They're more busy a lot of times. They're just busy doing stuff they want to do. But they're busy. Right, this isn't going to end any time soon. And yet Jesus takes this time to connect with her. It even seems a little counterintuitive because when you read this story, you think, why is Jesus kind of making this woman go public with this story? I mean, she clearly didn't want to do that. She clearly wanted to be in and out. She didn't want to have to testify. She didn't want to have to tell everyone her story. Like we read it and we go, that sort of seems unloving. Jesus is like calling this woman out in the middle of the whole crowd. How embarrassing. But do you know what? This interaction is actually Jesus loving her Because he wants to connect with her. But you know what else he needs to do? He needs to connect her back into the community. She's been ostracized. She's been outside. And by telling this whole story to the whole community, she can now be welcomed back in. And do you see the love in his words to her in verse 48? And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. You know, this is the only place, this story is the only place in the Gospels where Jesus heals a woman and calls her daughter. Why? Well, isn't it curious that it happens right in the middle of a story about a father doing whatever it takes to help his daughter? And isn't it interesting? That Jairus' daughter was how old? And this woman had this issue of blood for how many years? Twelve. Daughter. Daughter, I love you. Just like Jairus will do anything it takes to love his daughter, to save his daughter, to give his daughter her life back, I will do anything it takes for you to have the same thing. Touch and time in the middle of the hustle and bustle. That's a picture of love. How's the story conclude? Verse 49, Jairus' worst fears have come true. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. We don't know how Jairus reacted. I mean, wouldn't you have loved to see Jairus' face? Maybe he fell down again. Maybe he went, oh, I told you we need to hurry. I wonder if there was a part of him that thought, I see how Jesus cares for daughters. We don't know, doesn't say. The people around him say, don't trouble him. Let's go. It's over. The time ran out. Clock, time expired. We, let's just go, let's go barrier. But Jesus intervenes, verse 50. But on hearing this, Jesus answered him, do not fear, only believe and she will be well. He told the woman, have your faith has made you well. Now he's telling Jairus, have faith and she'll be made well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she's not dead, but sleeping. Now, she had clearly died, okay, because mourners had showed up. And it says in verse 53, they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. But in Jesus' mind, he's saying, listen, this is is not the end of her story. She's like she's sleeping. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. Arise. And her spirit returned and she got up at once and he directed that something should be given her to eat. Just like the woman was immediately healed, this girl is immediately raised. And I love how Jesus thinks, let's get this girl a sandwich. She (laughs) has been sick, she's been dead, let's get her some food, right? This is not the moment when Jesus goes, Man shall not live on bread alone, right? This is, he's like, get the girl some toast. Like, we need to give this girl some food. He takes care of her. He loves her, right? Even you think about the contrast. He made the woman testify in front of everybody. But for this girl, he clears the house, gets rid of everybody. Why? Do you know a 12-year-old girl who wants to be the center of everyone's attention? No. He loves her in the midst of that. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. Verse 56, and her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. I love that. Yeah, Jesus, like they're not going to figure it out. The whole crowd walked with this whole thing. They all know who Jairus is. They all heard the story that she's dead. And when they see her playing at recess, they're going to connect the dots. What do we see in this last picture? In this last picture, we see a picture of hope. Disease and death do not have the final word. This story is symbolic of all, this really happened, I'm not saying it's just a symbol, but it's, it's symbolic of all the fears that we have. Right In this, Jesus is conquering disease, and Jesus is conquering death. I told you, go ahead and write your prayer requests on our connection card on the back. Drop it into the gray mailboxes, and we'll pray for those. And I'll tell you, about 80% of the prayer requests we get, do you know what they're about? Disease and death. I'd love it if they were about even more things than that, but I think that just shows you that's the stuff that's on our mind. That's the stuff that we're afraid of. That's the stuff that we can't control, Right? I mean, you get a diagnosis, you can't control it. They say, hey, sorry, we don't have anything for you to do with this. You can't control it, right? Disease and death are the things that make us feel the most hopeless. And it's those very things that Jesus shows he came to turn on their head. He came to destroy disease and death, and he came to resurrect the dead. That's what he does in both of these stories. Think about this. Both of these stories is him raising the dead, The girl was literally dead. The woman was functionally, figuratively dead. And in both cases, he gives them their life back. He says, I came to make you new. Have you experienced this new life, this new resurrection power of Jesus? That's what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to just give a sort of fresh coat of paint on your already kind of okay life. He came As an offering of love so that those who are desperate would find that he and he alone had the power to raise the dead. That's what he came for. He came to do that for you. To resurrect a life, your life, that's been wrecked by your bad decisions. That's been wrecked by your inappropriate relationships. That's been wrecked by your harsh words. That's been wrecked by people who sinned against you. And he came to resurrect you. And we know he did because he is the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these pictures. Thank you for the picture of faith and the picture of love, the picture of hope. God, thank you for this way we see Jesus as a father who will do whatever it takes to love his children. And God, we pray now that you would do that for us now that you would meet us here, that we would trust you, not with tons of confidence all the time, not with all the answers, but with desperate hope. Raise us, God. Bring us back to life. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.